Melanocytic nevi. That's yes. one to drop at the next dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite the, uh, quite the armful of melanocytic nevi you have. Um, well, thank you. It's Women Like You, the podcast for women who hate working out but know they should. I'm Gab. I'm an audio producer and journalist. And I'm Sarah. I'm a GP and I work in fertility and women's health. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're on today and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. So today we're talking skin cancer. Look, as we head into the summer months here in Australia, we might find ourselves outside a lot more, at least I hope we will. Um, You know, we will be heading to the beach, exercising in nature and being outside in climates like ours comes the heightened risk of skin cancer. Yes, it does. Um, I also, before we get into this, want to send a big shout out to one of our Wiley listeners, AOK. She posted recently on Instagram that she's had a melanoma removed from her arm. Uh, So big love, AOK. I hope it's healing up nicely. And thank you for the reminder, which was written in in the quote to her image, which said, check your skin, people. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I had a uh, a little run in with a non-melanoma skin cancer earlier this year that that has been, you know, picked up, treated, and that particular spot should not come back to haunt me. Um, But as we'll get into today, you know, a, a previous history of skin cancer is in fact a risk factor for further skin cancers. And I just think it's a good reminder for all of us Thank you, AOK, and uh, thank you to uh, to all of all of our listeners who send in their their bits and pieces. But I think it's just a really good reminder that it's time to check your skin. Yes, it is. I love that you said that uh, who sent in their bits and pieces, like oh yeah, <laughs> like sending us their bits. <laughs> skin <laughs> biopsies. No, no, no. You metaphorical bits and pieces. <laughs> Well, before we get into um, the the nitty gritty of skin cancer, I just thought we'd yeah run through some quick stats on skin cancer, particularly in Australia, obviously, because that affects you and I and the majority of our listeners. Uh-huh. Um, Australia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in the world, two to three times the rates in Canada, the US and the UK. Skin cancer is the most common type of cancer, accounting for around 80% of all newly diagnosed cancers. I mean, this is terrifying. But two in three Australians will two in three Australians will be diagnosed with skin skin cancer by the age of seventy, and the majority of skin cancers are caused by exposure to the sun. Uh, Taking this a little bit further, digging digging down a little bit deeper, each year more than thirteen thousand Australians are diagnosed with a melanoma. And I know you're going to explain the differences um, in the types of skin cancers a little bit later, but um, almost nine hundred and eighty thousand new cases of non-melanoma skin cancers are treated. Skin cancer is mostly preventable and there are effective treatment options available, which is, I guess, the tiny silver lining to, you know, a shitty cloud. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, So, yeah, you know, getting into... Getting into the science, which is, you know, what I love for you to do each week, can you explain to us um, what some of the different types of skin cancers are? Absolutely, absolutely. So, look, skin cancer occurs when the skin cells are damaged, most commonly, as you've said, from overexposure to ultraviolet radiation from the sun. Now, there are three main types of skin cancer that you've already already touched on. Uh, We have the basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas, which are both known as the non-melanoma skin cancers. And then we have melanoma, which is the most dangerous form of skin cancer that uh, that we see. The 
Non-melanoma skin cancers are, interestingly, they're a little bit more common in men with almost double the incidence compared to women, but that was the type of skin cancer that I had earlier in the year. Melanoma is the third most common cancer in Australia, excluding the BCCs and SCCs because we don't tend to collect enough data on on those particular types of of cancer. Um, But, yeah, look, these, these are our... These are the main three types of things that we want to kind of chat a little bit further about today. But you know, two two main headings: melanoma, non-melanoma skin cancer, non-melanoma skin cancer, basal cell or squamous cell. Squamous is a great word for like a hideous squamous. thing. Yes. <laughs> squamous. <laughs> so who gets skin cancer? That is a uh, look. That's a really good question. Um, skin cancer most commonly affects older adults, but it can really look. It can happen at, at any age, and even rarely it can occur in children. Skin cancer tends to affect individuals with fair skin, so we have this uh, this way of of sort of um, this nomenclature for for dividing up different skin types called mm-hmm. the Fitzpatrick skin phototype. And uh, and it's the phototypes one, two, and three, which are the three fairest skin types that we see most skin cancers developing in. Although people with darker skin can absolutely develop skin cancer. Mm-hmm. People who've had skin cancer have an increased risk of developing other skin cancers. So one type doesn't necessarily mean that you'll always be prone to that type. So it's also important to to Again, if you have ever had skin cancer, to continue having your skin checks. A family history of skin cancer increases your risk. And there are certain genes. um, An example of one of these is something called the melanocortin 1 receptor, which has been identified as carrying an increased risk of developing melanoma. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, it, you know, you're saying you're talking about the Fitzpatrick skin phototype there. One, yes. two, and three. I'm going, well, one, I'm assuming I'm, I'm either one of those. Well, let's, uh, let's just. So, a Fitzpatrick skin type one skin always burns, never tans, and is sensitive to UV exposure. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's me. I know, I know that I'm probably somewhere between a Fitzpatrick type one and two. Yep. Um, two skin burns easily, tans minimally. Yeah. Um, and, and we go right through to a, a Fitzpatrick skin type six, which is skin that never burns. It's deeply pigmented. And, and they, these are the folks that are least sensitive to UV exposure. Oh. But if you're a type one, two or three, so you've got very fair skin, often fair eyes, um, then uh, then we really need to, to be on the front foot when we when we've had exposure to UV across our lifetime. Yep. So I've got that and a family history of skin cancer. Tick. Yes. <laughs> yes. Going well and so got, far. <laughs> and I've got that, a family history of skin cancer. And, and I've had skin cancer myself. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So what changes in our skin should we be looking for? Because I know this is something that obviously we're, we're told a lot, you know, we need to go get our skin checked, um, you know, especially if you notice any kind of changes. But yes. um, but what are we specifically yep. looking for? I mean, I'm so moly and freckly. Honestly, it'd be hard to keep track of any changes sometimes because yeah. there's so many of them. Agreed, agreed. I'm a I'm a I'm a moly mole myself. <laughs> um so for melanoma, we're predominantly looking for new pigmented lesions. And when we're talking about pigment, we're talking about, you know, typically brown spots. So, you know, moles and freckles are pigmented lesions. Um, so we're looking for new pigmented lesions or changes in existing pigmented lesions. Um, although just to make things a little bit more complicated, some melanomas don't have pigment. Oh, great. Um, yes. <laughs> although the presence of a large number of common nevi or moles is a strong risk factor for melanoma, 
The truth is that the majority of melanomas arise de novo, that is out of the blue, without there being necessarily a pre-existing mole in that spot. In fact, there was a 2017 meta-analysis of 38 studies, including over 20,000 melanomas, and it found only 29% were nevus-associated or arising in an existing mole, and the rest were arising out of the blue. Wow. So ultimately, I think any new skin lesion or a change in an existing skin lesion warrants a checkup with your GP or dermatologist. And what we'll often do is talk you through um, or as, as doctors examining skin, but it's also something good to have in the front of your mind if you're doing a bit of self-skin examination, which is really, really important. We often apply the ABCDEs to, uh, to melanoma skin lesions. So we're looking for A, asymmetry of shape or colour, B, border irregularity, including smudgy or ill-defined margins, C, colour variation or colour change, D, things that look different. So it was formerly diameter. We used to say a change in diameter. Now we just say, look, anything that looks different. If you've got a D, different, off to your doctor. Um, Or E, something that's evolving or enlarging or changing. But not all melanomas will necessarily conform to the ABCDE rule. So sometimes we also want to consider E for elevation, F for if it's becoming firm to touch, or G if it's growing. And then for the non-melanoma skin cancers, so back to the BCCs and SCCs. So for BCCs, basal cell carcinomas, you'll often find that these are slowly growing irregular nodules or plaques on the skin. They're often skin coloured. Or, or a bit pink, occasionally they can be pigmented. And the size can vary from a few millimetres to several centimetres in diameter. And they can be prone to a bit of spontaneous bleeding, erosion or ulceration. So these are often like a little, um, they can often be like a little nodule that seems to, to be a bit irritated, might scab up occasionally. Then with your SCCs or your squamous cell carcinomas, which was which was what my little friendly friendly squamous. squamous my little friend on my forehead was. Yep. Um, these will often present as an enlarging scaly or crusted lump. Gorgeous. Um, <laughs> it's just what you want. To- <laughs> yeah, crusty lump. Um, <laughs> they usually arise within pre-existing actinic keratoses, or essentially sunspots, and uh, and very much in areas of the skin that have been exposed to a lot of UV over the years. They tend to grow over weeks to months. Sometimes they may ulcerate. They might go through that kind of healing and healing and ulcering, healing and ulcering stage. They're often quite tender and painful and, uh, and again, located on the most sun-exposed sites of the body, so particularly the face, lips, ears, hands, forearms and, and lower legs. Size will vary from a few millimetres to even several centimetres in diameter. So when you discovered your squamous mm. cell carcinoma, what yep. did it look like and, and how did you go, how did you know to th- uh, sort of, I guess, not self-diagnose, but you know what I mean, go like, oh, maybe that looks a little bit different and maybe I should go get it checked yeah. out. And, and I think it was, so it just looked like, it, it kind of looked like a red thumbprint in the, at the, the top middle part of my, of my forehead. Yeah. And... But it was it was smooth for me. It wasn't painful, but it would occasionally just get a little bit scaly, yep. and uh, almost a bit like a, a little patch of dermatitis. Like it just didn't look like anything particularly nasty or angry, but 
it persisted. It just never got better. It never went away. And uh, and I've got a really strong family history of non-melanoma skin cancer. So it was just a matter of me then making an appointment with a, uh, with a dermatologist. And they had one quick look at it and went, yep, that one's going to go. <laughs> oh, no. Because that's the thing, like, you know, especially with like scaly, scaliness, you know, to the skin. Like I often go through phases of having quite dry skin, particularly obviously during winter. Mm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes, yeah, like yeah, like you would literally just go, oh, some of this stuff is, is possibly just dry skin. And, yeah. and maybe the dry skin just happens to be around an area where there might be moles or freckles. But I think if it's persistent, yeah, then again, you know, it's it, it may turn out to be nothing. Fantastic. But uh, but you don't want to sit on on potential cancerous skin changes. Yeah. So you mentioned a few of these. Are there areas of the body which are more prone to skin cancer? Well, melanomas can occur anywhere on the body, not only in areas that get a lot of sun, although, again, sun-exposed areas will still be the predominant uh, the predominant regions that we will see melanomas arise in in our climate and mm-hmm. in our environment. Uh, in Australia and New Zealand, the most common site for melanoma in men is on the back, and about 40% of melanomas are on the back in men. And the most common site in women is uh, is the legs, particularly the lower legs. About 35% of melanomas in women in Australia and New Zealand are, are on the legs. As for the uh, BCCs and SCCs, look, they do typically occur, occur most commonly on the parts of the body that are frequently exposed to sunlight or UV radiation. And uh, and so in most people, these happen to be the face, the scalp, the neck, the hands, the legs, the chest, the back. And I guess that's one reason why it's so important that when you are you know, whacking your sunscreen on, don't forget the back of your neck. Don't yes. forget the tops of the ears and don't forget the sort of the the, the skin around your hairline um, because you can easily miss those spots and they are really, really common sites for BCCs and SCCs to develop. Yeah. Also, it's funny you say that about the hairline and also just thinking about the top of your head, the scalp. I mean, obviously that's why yeah. you know, wearing a hat is so important, but there was that story a few months ago about a, a Queensland politician whose hairdresser picked up a melanoma on her head. Oh, because, hairdressers are uh, yeah. hairdressers are incredible. They pick up they pick up these not just skin cancers but dermatological problems with the scalp all the time. Yeah. It's uh, cuz they're having a they're having a close look and if you've got a good strong relationship with your hairdresser and they're seeing you, you know, every every 6 weeks or every 8 weeks or whatnot, you know, they know your scalp better than you do. Yeah, well, they see it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like unless you've got somebody at home who, you know, regularly <laughs> examines your scalp. Mm. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, just I guess a good thing, a good, you know, reminder that next time you are getting a haircut, um, you know, worth just saying, hey, while you're up there, could I ask yeah. a favour? Could you just, you know, have a little look and if there's anything that alarms you, just let me know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that moves perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next. How often should we be getting our skin checked? There are currently no set guidelines for how often you should get your skin checked. And I guess that really is because everyone's skin is quite different. And if you are a Fitzpatrick one, then you need to be thinking about this a lot more closely than if you're a Fitzpatrick five or six. Um, Look, people at high risk of skin cancer should discuss a plan of how often they check their skin with their doctor. Um, I would suggest that... um, that if you've ever had a previous melanoma, then you'll probably be looking at six monthly checkups, um, at least yearly if you've had a non-melanoma skin cancer and between yearly to second yearly for general surveillance, particularly if you do have some of those risk factors that we've discussed earlier. 
what I would say is that if you've never had a skin check, but you fall into any of the following categories, it's time for you to book one in. It's time. It's time. (laughs) So, who is it time for? It is time for fair-skinned individuals over 40, Mm -hmm. um, those who have multiple melanocytic nevi and freckles, so lots of moles and lots of freckles. Melanocytic nevi. That's one to drop at the next dinner party. (laughs) Yeah. That's quite the uh, quite the armful of melanocytic nevi you have. Um, why, thank you. Um, if you have an occupation that sees you outdoors a lot, mm-hmm. if you have a past history of skin cancer, whether that's melanoma or non-melanoma, or if there is that family history of skin cancer, particularly in a first-degree relative, so mum, dad, siblings, yep. or if you have a lesion of concern, and I feel like this... We, if we ever wanted to rename the Women Like You podcast, it's called the Go to Your Doctor If Anything Is New podcast. So if you have a lesion of concern that you haven't, that you are unfamiliar with, if something has changed, make an appointment with your doctor. Oh, it's a great idea for a, like a slogan for a T-shirt as well for the summer months. Women Like You, do you have a lesion of concern? <laughs> Time to head to your GP. Oh, okay, so what actually happens at a skin check? I've had one. Uh, just at the How doctor. How long ago? Oh, I'm gonna say three. Oh, oh. pre 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 pandemic, maybe okay. maybe even yeah. four years ago now. I know the time the time slips away, and I think particularly um, with with the uh, loss of sensible time <laughs> over the last few years, I would I would suspect that a lot of people have probably missed out on their routine skin checks. I think a lot of people have just missed out on general health checks. Routine everything. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, just yeah. put that all on hold, baby. Yep. Exactly. So, look, your, uh, your skin check will usually start with an assessment of your skin cancer risk. So, it'll start with a conversation and, uh, and a review of your general medical history, including any medication that you're taking and your family history. Uh, your doctor will also ask you to point out any areas of concern, lesions of concern, lesions of concern. and uh, and we'll discuss your skin type with you because if you don't know what type of skin you have, then it's a good opportunity at that kind of pre-examination part of the skin check to, uh, to find out. Yeah. Now, every doctor is going to have their own exam process, but generally each part of your skin will be examined with a small magnifying device called a dermatoscope. Dermatoscope. Oh, this episode is full of them, Sarah. Oh, yes. Dermatoscope. Dermatoscope. cell carcinoma. Yes. And uh, look, a dermatoscope is essentially, yeah, it's like a little magnifying device that allows you to see, it allows you to see any skin lesions in, in much higher resolution and you also get a particularly if you're thinking about the you know the ABCDEs, you're able to assess that much, much clearly than you can just with the naked eye. Yeah. Um generally the areas that will be checked will include your face, your chest, your arms, back, legs, scalp. So you will get a scalp check during your during your skin check. Mm-hmm. Um behind the ears and even between the toes and the soles of your feet. Um Typically, genitals and breasts are not included in your routine skin check, but if you've noticed something or if you know a partner has noticed something, then your doctor will be very happy to check those areas for you. But obviously, for the, for the most part, these are uh, areas of your body that have seen a little less UV exposure. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then ultimately, if a problem is identified, a biopsy may be taken to confirm the diagnosis and to assist in putting together the most appropriate treatment plan. I was going to say when you said, you know, generally we don't check the sort of genitals, genital area. 
I mean, mm. like, uh, like, you know, because it doesn't have much sun exposure unless you're like yep. a serial flasher, you know, like if yes. you're out there every day just putting Woo. your bits on display, then maybe have a chat to your doctor about lesions of concern. Yes. And look, when as a, as a, uh, as a GP working predominantly in women's health who, and, and ha- I have, I have performed a lot of pap smears and cervical screening tests over the years, it's, you know, that's also an opportunity to well, you're down for, there. Your, for yeah. your GP to have a to have a look at the skin. The yeah. the vulval skin is it, it is important to check for vulval dermatological issues as well as having your, your standard pap smear done. Um, but you know, if you've got if you're due for your pap smear and you have noticed a, a spot, then get your GP to check it out and they'll be able to advise whether they think that you need to see a dermatologist or have a, a more comprehensive skin check done. I love that I tried to take that into a really ridiculous area then with flashing. <laughs> you just brought it back to, no, no, that's a very valid no, point. It is. It is. If you do often get your kid out, then, you know, it's a good time to ask your GP to have a quick look. Absolutes, absolutes. So bringing this back to exercise, obviously this is a podcast for women who hate working out but know they should. When thinking about what we can do to protect ourselves, particularly if you live in Australia and New Zealand, um, you know, which has a, oh, how, what we, how would we describe it? A very particular set of climate. Um, yes. Yes, uh, we have. We have, very, we have juicy UV <laughs> we down do. here. We do. The best thing, I mean, for starters, is if you're unable to do your work, I mean, if you are doing kind of exercise outside and if it, you know that it's not going to be very early in the morning or, you know, t- towards the evening, check your weather apps, both the standard weather app on the smartphone or even the BOM app, or I should say the, the Bureau, the Bureau. <laughs> the Bureau of Meteorology <laughs> app. You have to be Australian to understand that story. Yep. Uh, but the Bureau app, they both have a UV index guide for each date. So it will tell you when it's necessary to use sun protection. Right now, for example, I just had a quick look. On a spring day here in Sydney, it's a delightful 9 to 10 on the max UV index, yep. which is very high. And that's out of 10. Out of 10, <laughs> I know. We are at the top, baby. And we're not even at summer. Uh, sun protection is recommended until 5 p.m. And so it will tell you usually when you when you check that in the morning, it'll say sun protection today recommended between, you know, 8.30 and 5 or, you know, 10 and 2. Like whatever it is, it will tell you you and you can kind of use that as a bit of a guide. Moisture wicking activewear is your friend. Uh, So basically look for moisture wicking in anything with long sleeves, a collar, full length leggings. Um, You know, if, if you know that you can't avoid those really high max UV index hours, then just cover yourself up, but obviously you don't want to overheat and you need to be comfortable. So yeah, definitely um, look for moisture wicking with the active wear. A hat is just a non-negotiable, preferably with a big old brim. Remember that a cap exposes the nose, the ears, the neck, those areas that, mm-hmm. um, that Sarah mentioned before. So yeah, you yeah. know, if you can go for a bigger hat, do it. I mean, I say this, but I'm the worst. I-, <laughs> I am, I am, I am in the market. You, uh, you for for my husband's birthday, you bought him a voucher to an incredible hat shop up in the Blue Mountains, and he got this major, like wide brim, just incredible hat that I'm now so jealous of because I'm out there walking with my cap on, and clearly, you know, exposing neck, ears, etc. Yep. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm on the look. You're on the lookout. I'm on the look for a big old hat. He does look amazing in that hat. Um, sunscreen. I mean, we've got epic fifty plus 
Yes, SPF 50 plus sunscreens in what, Australia. What? <laughs> I know, like, and, and fun fact, a lot of sunscreens that are made overseas can't actually be sold here with their normal SPF ratings because they're not strong enough to handle our sun. So if you have a particular brand that's made overseas, it's one of your favourites, and you know that overseas customers use you know, the, the, the sunscreen um, that that brand releases and you can't work out why it's not sold here, that's often why. It's because it's not strong enough. You can't handle our heat. Mm. <laughs> it can't handle our it's UV. It's going to melt straight off. <laughs> um, and a public service announcement. There was actually a recall earlier this year on some SPF 50 plus sunscreens. They had higher than normal levels of a cancer-causing chemical called benzene. I'll pop a link in the show notes so you can actually check your sunscreen in case it's on the list of those of those recalls. You can obviously take it back and get a refund or just just not use it maybe because um yeah it was uh, it was on a list of recalls mm. i remember he- hearing that at the time and going well fuck like most of us are now trying to transition to the 50 yes. plus <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> too much benzene Ugh. Well, I'm going to butt in with a little bit more info on sunscreens here because I think it's really, it is really, really important because not all sunscreens are created equal, even those that meet the Australian regulations, even those that are SPF 50 plus. Um, And your choice of sunscreen will come down to a few things. So certainly personal preference and when you're using the product. Um, So there are two main classifications of sunscreens in Australia. One are the chemical sunscreens and one are the physical sunscreens or physical blockers. So chemical sunscreens work by absorbing UV radiation, whereas the physical blockers, as the name kind of implies, are they they reflect visible light and were previously thought to really just reflect and scatter UV radiation, but now we know that they also absorb UV radiation. When I say absorb, I don't mean absorb it into the skin, yeah. but rather <laughs> absorb it, absorb it and scatter it so yeah. that it doesn't directly impact the skin. Chemical sunscreens often contain a combination of ingredients to provide coverage against both UVB and UVA radiation, but they're often less water resistant and they tend to wipe off or sweat off a bit more easily. Oh. So I would I would suggest that if you are if you are working out or if you're going for if you're going swimming and you think that you're going to be sweating in your sun protection, then I would opt preferentially for a physical sunscreen. If you're using your sunscreen kind of under your makeup or just going about some daily you know, daily activities, popping off to the shops, et cetera, um, where you're not necessarily going to be swimming or, or really exercising, then a chemical, a chemical option may be a really good option for you. They tend to be a bit lighter and they sort of absorb into the skin a little bit better, whereas your, your physical sunscreens will often leave you with that slightly ghosty, pale. Oh, sort totally, of, like, like cricketers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing to remember is that you want to choose, like if you are swimming, particularly if you're ocean swimming or, or exercising in general, I think you also want to choose one that's going to be reef safe um, because certainly some of the uh, some of the chemicals in the chemical sunscreens have been associated with uh, coral bleaching. So again, again if, if you just when you when you're going to the going into the ocean, if you pick a physical sunscreen instead, then then you're not going to get into environmental troubles either. And I have a couple of quick recommendations because I feel very strongly about sunscreen now. <laughs> um, if you are just looking for something to wear underneath your makeup to improve your day to day sun protection, I use something. This is non sponsored, by the way. <laughs> I use something called Ultraviolet Queen Screen Fifty Plus. 
It honestly, it feels it feels like a serum. It doesn't feel like sunscreen. It has this kind of beautiful, very delicate rose scent, Ooh. and uh, and it's so lovely under your makeup. It it really is like a primer, and then you don't need to use a primer as well. And you know, yes, you might have a some SPF protection in your in your foundation, but often it's not very strong. And if you are at risk of skin cancer, then you know wearing an additional sunscreen underneath your makeup is a good option. So I definitely can recommend Ultraviolet Queen Screen 50 Plus. It's an Australian brand. Um, actually, I think it's a couple of a uh, couple of women have set up that company, so it's a nice little opportunity to support women in business. If you are exercising outdoors, then I cannot recommend enough a product called Invisible Zinc 50 Plus Sports. So this one is the physical sunscreen. It's great if you have sensitive skin. It lasts really well. It doesn't rub off easily. You don't sweat it off easily and it is reef friendly. Yes. So um, just a couple of considerations. And then of course, also when you're thinking about, you know, what to wear apart from your, your sunscreens, if we're then thinking clothing and hats, we now have something called UPF clothing, which means ultraviolet protective fabric. Oh, um, and so like my 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 cosy, my swimwear, which is a long sleeved sort of rashy one piece, um, has a UPF rating. I've seen this. Like, a, yeah, the, the, it does. There is a lot of activewear and, and swimwear that has this this yes. rating now. It's awesome. Yeah, and and so you know, if you if you have the if you have the financial capacity, or if you are looking at you know upgrading some some gear for summer, you know, check out the brands that have that that have the Australian accredited. UPF rating. Um, it's very similar to the. It's really similar to the SPF rating, and it's uh, it's used to measure the UV rays that pass through the fabrics when they're exposed to UV radiation. So you'll find a little label on the clothing. Um, there's UPF 15 or 20, which offers good protection. UPF 25, 30 to 35, which offers very good protection. Or if you're someone like me, you're going to opt for your UPF 40, 50 or 50 plus, which offers you excellent protection. And so that when you're then combining that with, you know, avoiding the sun at peak times, a really good, uh, a really good sunscreen that's, you know, appropriate for whatever activity you're planning, you know, a good hat and you can also get UPF hats now, um, you know, this is, it's just ultimately is going to significantly reduce your risk of winding up with a, uh, a skin cancer yourself. Oh, absolutely brilliant. It's interesting when I was looking at, um, looking into like what actually SPF is, because obviously, you know, sunscreens come with an SPF rating. Uh, I found there's awesome resor- resources on the Cancer Council website, um, but they had some recommendations as well for your sunscreen. Uh, they said make sure the sunscreen is at least 30 SPF broad spectrum and water resistant. SPF just means sun protection factor. Also check the expiry date of the sunscreen mm. and the storage conditions recommended on the label. Most sunscreens last about two to three years and should be stored at a temperature below 30 degrees Celsius. And I know that might sound extreme if you are from the Northern Hemisphere, but during summer, 30 degrees is uh, gonna, quite common yeah. for us. If you're in central Queensland or northern Queensland, then you can be you can you can bet that, that it's going to be over thirty most days. <laughs> and that's the thing with sunscreen, you know, like how long have you actually had your bottle of sunscreen for? You know, it's possibly stuffed in a cupboard somewhere, you know, in in you know sitting through very warm summers uh, for years, uh, because obviously you know it can last a while. So maybe it's time to to ditch the expired bottle and 
and purchase some new one. Interestingly, um, they also said in laboratory conditions when used as directed, SPF 30 sunscreen filters 96.7% of UV radiation and SPF 50 filters 98%. So, you know, pretty close between 30 and yes. SPF 30 and 50. Both provide excellent protection if they are applied properly. Cancer Council recommends using sunscreen every day on days when the UV index is forecast to be three or above. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, we're 10 today, so... <laughs> And we're not even at summer yet. So. I was going to say, it's not a stinking hot day. It's no. not the day that you would automatically think, oh, I better wear my sunscreen. Mm. So UV index forecast to be three or above is when you need to be putting sunscreen on. So I would just hazard a guess in Australia, that's six months of the year, maybe longer. Mm. Uh, sunscreen should be incorporated into your daily morning routine on these days. And, you know, with that beautiful recommendation before, um, that's, you know, something that's actually quite quite achievable if, you've, if you can find a really good product that can sit well under your under your makeup or, or, you know, under your clothes, you're not going to, you don't walk out smelling like, you know, because that that could be a bit (laughs) bit of a turn off, walk into the office or walk into a meeting, just stanking of sunscreen. Um, When UV levels are below three, sun protection is not recommended unless you work outdoors, are near reflective surfaces like snow. I mean, it's not often that many of us are going to be near snow, but anyway, um, or you're outside for extended periods. Sunscreen needs to be applied 20 minutes before going outdoors. Use a generous amount of sunscreen. Yes, most people don't use anywhere near enough. Yes, when applying, you need at least one teaspoon per limb. One for the front of the body, one for the back, and one for the head. A full body application for an adult should be at least 35 mils or seven teaspoons. So, yeah, we're absolutely not using enough if our sunscreen is lasting us years and is stuffed exactly. in cupboards. Yeah. <laughs> we're not getting through enough of it. Many Australians apply too little sunscreen and forget to reapply. Sunscreen should be reapplied every two hours if you're spending time outdoors. A sunscreen can be easily wiped off, lost through perspiration. You should also reapply after swimming, sweating or towel drying. All the things you didn't know you needed to know about sunscreen. Yes. We really could have just called this a sunscreen episode, (laughs) but I just, I think it's, I think it's so important and it's, and it's the actionable stuff that you can, that you can change and it will make a huge difference. hundred percent. I mean, I've learned not, not only so much about different skin cancers and what to actually look look out for and the fact that, yes, I obviously do need to go get my skin checked again, <laughs> but, but, you know, even just the UPF clothing, like that's that's groundbreaking. You know, I haven't really kind of gone too far into that, but I have noticed it popping up a lot more. So, you know, maybe it is time to start looking at yeah. some of those things, particularly for, you know, swimwear or active wear when you know that you're going to be outdoors. Um, and, and also just the differences in sunscreen, you know, the chemical sunscreen versus the physical blockers. I mean, effectively, I think I just need to douse myself in physical blockers every single day. Like I need one of those machines that you can just walk through and it just sprays your entire body and then I'm good to go, baby. I mean, I've always, I've always considered myself to be fairly vigilant when it comes to sun protection, but despite that, you know, I, I still, still had, still, still had a, a decent sized skin cancer on my forehead, um, and I'm now even more vigilant. But you know, it it requires like anything it requires a system. You know, have have your sunscreen there, ready, accessible. Make sure it's the right the right sunscreen for the job. You know, reapply and work out what's going to be best for you, but don't skip it. Yes, don't skip it. I mean, it's the same thing as as getting into an exercise habit. We just need to get into a sunscreen habit. Yep.
The Women Like You podcast is produced by me, Gab Burke, and music is by Hamish Camilleri. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womenlikeyoupodcast.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gab. Uh, and next week, we're looking at some you know, pretty exciting new research into a simple desk exercise that you can do to boost your health, particularly if you spend a lot of time sitting down. Yes. And I still, despite saying it to you <laughs> in the last week or the week before, I've man, not used my standing my desk. Standing desk <laughs> it's I feel sad for my standing desk. I'm obviously I'm giving it giving it human qualities here, but I feel like I'm not meeting my potential love. It's sitting here Come on. sitting here screaming out, going, I've got so much more capability. I've got four settings. Come on. <laughs> Why would you me? make me stretch? Oh, so yeah. good. Meanwhile, the chairs they're going, nah. Like that, mate. So I'm comfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's good news on the horizon. There's a very simple little trick that you can do if you do spend a lot of time each day sitting down that can... I mean, it's not to replace exercise or physical activity <laughs> or movement of any kind, but it's just something that you could do that, uh, you know, there's some really promising results that, um, you know, might make you feel a little bit better. It's not possible just to, you know, constantly be getting up and down all day and, you know, making sure that you're not leading a sedentary lifestyle. That's not always an option. Mm. So, yeah, don't panic. There's good news ahead. Lovely. Well, let's do it again next week. Yes, please. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Big name in the water.